Hello and welcome to the Yarniacs podcast. This is episode 104, which we are recording on Tuesday, December 15th. So it's the middle of December. December. And we have a special guest on the program today. Well, actually, let me introduce us first. I'm Gail. And I'm Charlie. And we have Rachel Heron on the phone with us today. How are you, Rachel? I'm so good. I'm so glad to talk to you guys. Well, we, on our last episode, started talking about knitting in fiction as a prelude to talking to you on the episode today. Charlene and I had the good fortune to meet you about a year and a half ago at a Santa Cruz Knitting Guild meeting, and we're just fascinated by your writing and how you've basically made a career of writing about knitting, which is so cool, so very cool. And we've been looking forward to having you on the podcast. Thank you so much. I've been looking forward to talking to you guys. Charlene and I go go way, 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 way back to old knit blog days. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Rachel and I attend a knitting group at a now defunct but was very cool knitting store back in, I don't know if it was in Berkeley or Oakland. But we used to attend that. Yeah, Oakland. That sounds right. And that was several years, many years ago. Yeah, when was that? I mean, when did you still live in that area? That was a long time ago then. That was a long time ago, yeah. Probably early 2000s, 2002, 2003. Nice. That's what I would think. I think it was about 2003. Yeah, it was back yeah. in the day. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. So we're going to do just a couple of our regular segments before we get into basically learning all about the fascinating job you have as a knitting novelist. So we usually kick off the show with what we are wearing. So what are you wearing today, Charlene? I am not wearing a sweater today, but I was going to, or I am going to tell you about a sweater that I knit, I want to say, 10 years ago. And I've been wearing it this week because it's so cold. I I even pulled it out to show Gail (laughs) because... This sweater is 10 years old, but it still looks really Ooh, good. Ooh, it's pretty. So this cable-licious. Yes, this is a cabled sweater called C3 by Annie Modisit. And it was a pattern that was originally published in Knitty back in winter of 2002. And it was a very odd little pattern because there were errors in the pattern. And I remember when I first looked at the pattern on Knitty, graphs for the cable had no key. It was, oh. There was some very strange errors, and uh, before we recorded, I even looked at the knitty page for this pattern, and they still don't have a pattern or a stitch key. Are you serious? Yeah. They never re- re- repaired it. You them? have to go to Annie Modisit's website and see the errata for the pattern to see the stitch that's key. Strange. That's strange. That's very strange, yes. <laughs> but yeah. I had I hadn't been knitting that long when I started knitting this, but it was a really good lesson to me because it really taught me that a pattern is only as good as the editing and the technical editing and as good as the knitter if the knitter can figure it out. Yes, that's a key <laughs> Because I was a very new knitter, so I was completely perplexed by a lot of these issues, but I eventually made it through the sweater. You knit that sweater as a new knitter? Fairly new. Wow, yeah. it is like all over cables. It's beautiful. I didn't know cables. Wow. Oh, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, so that's my excuse. 
And I knit it in brown sheep. Is it brown sheep? The lamb's pride. Okay. And you know, that stuff wears like steel wool. That thing, that stuff doesn't pill. It doesn't wear. I I love that um, lamb's pride that's stuff. That's exactly it. This sweater has yeah. laughed. The only issue is that it is too warm for most most yeah. applications. It's just too warm. Yeah. And so it's been really cold here, and I wear it as a jacket, and that works. <laughs> well, and, Rachel, you live in the California Bay Area too, right? Yes. I live in Oakland. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't think our yes. listeners probably would have known that. So you basically have the same weather patterns that mm-hmm. we have here in Santa yeah. Cruz. So, yeah, you Which would have the ridiculously same. cold. Yeah, yeah, this week and last week it have been, indeed. <laughs> Is it super windy there? Is yeah, it windy? In totally Oakland? windy. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Like a, a, a hurricane outside here, which makes it bitter cold when you walk out the door. Yeah. So what are you wearing today, Rachel? I am actually wearing something that I pulled out a couple of weeks ago when it got cold here. I was just noticing online that um, all my friends in New York right now are complaining that it's 75 degrees. And, and you know, they, they're all outside in their short sleeves, and that's the way it shouldn't be. So I think we have New York's weather this week. Yeah, it's just completely upside down. And um, so I pulled out, at a whim a couple weeks ago, I pulled out Crow Marty, which is an Alice Starmore pattern. It's an all-over cable. It was probably the most complex sweater, one of the most complex sweaters I've ever attempted and finished, and um, and I love it. It's from Celtic Collection, the only Starmore I've ever made and probably ever will make. But uh, it was always way too boxy on me. I just looked kind of silly in it, so I've only worn it out of the house maybe once or twice. It was just kind of too wide and too squat, and I'm already not thin and and built like a, you know, sturdy peasant stock. So it wasn't a flattering look on me. And I pulled it out the other day, and I went and looked in the mirror, and I, and I had that ridiculous thought. And I thought, oh, I think it shrunk. And then I realized it probably hasn't shrunk. It just looks better on me now because I show it out more. So, yeah, so it was a little bit a little bit embarrassing, and to my chagrin, it actually looks good now. Okay, so the the recording here might be just a bit disjointed because the wind we've talked about has been blowing out the internet connection somehow. So Rachel was telling us about the yarn she used for her Starmore sweater. Yeah, I chose Koigu Kirsty, which is um it's almost a worsted weight and I don't know why I chose that to do the sweater and so it ended up being hugely heavy. I knitted it as a shop model for the Threadbare Boys who were uh a yarn shop in the Midwest. And so basically I got all the yarn for free and I knitted it over the course of four or five months, I think, and then just sent it to them for six months and then got to keep it. So it's one of those things I just never wear. And it, and it feels like chain mail almost when I wear it. It's so heavy, but it's <laughs> really lovely for this time of year. <laughs> so I've been enjoying fitting it now. <laughs> Apparently I was knitting it for my 40s. <laughs> Starmore is a work of art. I mean, wow, those sweaters are quite an investment in knitting time, aren't they? Yeah. They really are. And I can usually knit a sweater in, you know, a month or two months around what, I, what everything else I'm doing. And that one took at least four or five months. And um, and I, I'm very, very good at getting rid of things. I love getting rid of things. I don't have sentimental attachment to a lot of my knitting. As soon as it doesn't fit me or it doesn't suit the, you know, style, it, you know, something's just wrong with it, I'm really 
happy to give things away. And that one I've always kept. I just couldn't get rid of that work of art. And now, actually, I'm glad that I didn't. There was a point at which I was almost going to make it into a pillow. Oh, wow. I'm glad you didn't, since it sounds like it's perfect weather. And I'm I'm going to have to stop your projects when we're done, because I'm sure it's beautiful. What color is it? It's a um, kind of variegated, deep chocolate brown, so a lot of different browns in it. Beautiful. Wow. Sounds beautiful. And Gail, how about you? What are you wearing today? I am wearing my traveler tunic, which I haven't worn for a podcast recording yet. It's a pattern by Hovi Zocatelli, and it is my new favorite thing to wear. It is, <laughs> I knit it in Imperial Stock Branch Tracy 2, which is their sport weight version of their Erin base that I love so much. And it's in a very neutral gray, and it's the perfect length and size and fit to just put on and be super warm. I love it. It's super lofty, so it doesn't feel heavy or weigh me down, but it's still just really, really warm and cozy. And the yarn just feels squishy. Like you can actually squeeze the yarn and feel <laughs> it kind of sponge-like in your fingers. So, nice. yeah, I really, really That's like exactly it. exactly the – I need something like that in my closet. I'm going to have to stock that because that sounds exactly <laughs> what it, like what I've been looking for. It's I awesome. Need a weight. And it's A-line, so it's flattering on just about any body, and it has a beautiful cabled yoke, and then you just basically knit stockinette until you're happy with the length, working in your increases as you go. So it was a fun, beautiful knit. Yeah, it's a really great one. I highly recommend it. I do, too. It's really cute. Heaven, heaven. I can't wait. Going going in my queue, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So what are you knitting, Charlene? I am knitting right now, and my hand is a coffee cup cozy, and I've made partial one of these last night, a little <laughs> koala cup cozy, so which is a free pattern that I found on Ravelry, a free pattern by Alexandra Davidoff. And the only thing I have left on my little koala cup cozy is the ears to put on, and they're little tiny pom-poms. So, How cute. Yeah. It is really cute. <laughs> it's even cuter than it sounds. It's thinking adorable. It really is. And what else have I been knitting? I've been working on a pair of Rose City Rollers, also a gift. And that's about it. Just a lot of small things going on. How about you, Rachel? What are you knitting? Um, today, this afternoon, I will definitely finish this a uh, sweater for my sister. Um, it's a gift, and it's I'm such a jerk with a bad memory that it was <laughs> last year for her birthday. I gave her a gift certificate of a custom fit sweater and a trip to the yarn store. And oh. so back then, you know, a year ago on her birthday, we we went to the yarn store and she picked out the color and I did all her measurements and she picked the kind of sweater. And then I think I just got busy on book deadline or something, and it wasn't until I was flipping through pictures recently, I saw pictures of the yarn that I took, I was planning to make her sweater out of, the yarn that she'd chosen. And I thought, oh, crap, I completely forgot. So I quickly <laughs> cast on, and this has been a lightning-fast sweater, and all it needs is one button band. And then the real fun is that I'm going to pick her up, and we're going to go shop for buttons um, at Stone Mountain and Daughter in Berkeley, which is a great place for buttons. So yeah. she gets to pick whatever she wants, and then that'll be done. And I'm also just about to finish a, a shawl in gray Icelandic wool that I cast on when I was in Iceland last month. And um, it's just kind of a mindless shawl knit. It's called Radiance, and it's 
it's it's a beautiful shawl. I've done it like three times, and it's really only yarn overs um, spaced nicely and regularly. It's not real lace, but it looks lacy, and it's just super easy. So that's about done too. I'm finishing things, I guess. Now, did you just say you were in Iceland last month? Yes, I finally we, we finally got to Iceland. It's always been on the top of the list of places that I wanted to go, and we went in October. I guess it was two months ago. We went in October. So, wow. It's so cool. And to all the knitters out there, there's an airline called Wow Airline, and they fly right now out of Boston and D.C. round trip to Reykjavik for $99. So if you can get to Boston or D.C., and they have said that they are going to open in San Francisco next year. So I can't imagine they'll still do $99, but, you know, if it's $200, who cares? That's nothing to get to Reykjavik. Iceland really wants to promote tourism, and they want, and it's perfect. I went there, and there is yarn in the grocery stores. It's sold everywhere. <laughs> it is it's um, everyone's knitting, and, they're, and every single person is wearing a Lofiesa sweater, completely non-ironically, and everyone's Lopi sweater was made by someone who loves them. You know, everyone had a story. They wear this one all the time. It was the one their mom made them, the one their grandmother made them, and they have to wear them because it's so cold. But uh, it was, it's, and so I brought back two sweaters worth of yarn for two Lopis and um, the shawl, the shawl yarn. So. Wow. Not too bad. That's not too bad for That me. is really sure. cool. <laughs> Okay, so I'm going to have to put that on my list of possible vacation destinations <laughs> to research. It's, it's fantastic. Yeah, and I mean, and the, the other thing, you so you basically you go shop for wool and then you uh, you soak in hot tubs the rest of the time. It's pretty oh, funny. Oh, shop? That sounds horrible. <laughs> yeah, it was just awful. <laughs> wow. I think that Charlene and I, we'd have to go do that vacation together and leave our husbands and families at home <laughs> because they wouldn't appreciate it as yeah. much. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> wow. Well, I'm going to have to go stock your stash on Ravelry now, too, if it's been logged so I can see the beautiful yarn you bought. I'm a terrible logger on Ravelry. I'm horrible. I haven't I haven't logged it yet. <laughs> well, at least we'll be able to see the gray if your project's on there, your shawl project. Uh, yes, I'll, I'll make sure it's up there. Yeah. Okay. Cool. And <laughs> how about you, Gail? What are you knitting? So right now I'm knitting my second hat that's called the Long Beanie by Wooly Wormhead. It's a free pattern on Ravelry for super bulky yarn. And I'm cranking a few of these out for charity hats. And it's working up really well. I'm using actually three strands of Cascade 220 Superwash held together. And talk wow. about Yeah, on size 10 needles. So super, super fast knit. And it's going to keep some heads very, very warm. <clears throat> so I highly recommend this pattern. Yeah, it looks like Gail is knitting with shoelaces. It's such it's a big, the three strands <laughs> together. It yeah. looks like shoelaces. And she's got three balls of Cascade 220 Superwash rolling around on the floor. Yep, <laughs> exactly. <clears throat> so it's, I love it. I cast this on when we started recording, and it's already, what, an inch and a half of brim, yeah. rib brim. So it goes really quickly. And actually, when you hold three strands of yarn together, you get that nice, plump, like, three-ply. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm yeah. super perfect with it. Yeah, it looks great. So, nice pattern. Highly recommend it. And I'm making serious progress on my husband's sweater. So, Rachel, you just told us you're knitting a gift sweater for your sister. 
and I'm knitting a gift sweater for my husband, and I'm hoping by this time next week I'm taking him button shopping at our local fabric store because Aww. by this time next week I'm hoping that thing he is no longer done. around my neck, cousin, you know, <laughs> <laughs> away around my neck. It's turning out really, really yeah. pretty. It's a fingering weight man's sweater, so a lot of knitting. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Wow. He wanted a particular yarn, and he really appreciates his hand knits, so I'm knitting him a fingering weight sweater, and there you go. And he, he deserves it then. Yeah. <laughs> yes, he does. He's very awesome about wearing his hand knits. It's very cool. Mm. So those are <laughs> the focuses of my knitting since we last recorded. Okay. So, shall we get into the interview part? Let's do it. So, Rachel, will you please give our listeners the your version of what you do for a living that we find to be so fascinating? <laughs> <laughs> well, I get to sit around and think things up and write them down, and uh, these stories turn into books, novels, and then they are published, and people buy them and read them. And because... Knitting has always been the kind of the background music to everything I do. You know, the knitting is always, always around. The knitting became the background music for um, not only a five-novel series that's set in a fictional town called Cypress Hollow. Um, the first one of that series was called How to Knit a Love Song. And there were four others after it, plus a short story and a historical novella. And um, it was also, I wrote a memoir from, those are from Harper Collins. I wrote a memoir from Chronicle, and that's called A Life in Stitches, and that was uh, a collection of essays that I wrote looking at the sweaters that I've knit in my life and kind of what was going on at the time I was knitting them, because I think we can all do that. We can all turn around and look at the sweaters and know what relationship we were in, what house we lived in. Uh, what our stresses were at that time, what our what our joys were, who was sick, who was getting better, you know. So I I kind of explored that in those in that book of essays called The License Stitches. So I get to write a lot about knitting. And, and that awesome. last one that last one's interesting because our our knitting is kind of like a memoir, isn't it, of our life? Yeah. It's like like you said, you can look at a knit piece and know what you were doing in your life when you were knitting that. Yeah, every, even, you know, even something as simple as socks, you know, socks we make, I, personally I make so many socks that I think I would forget what I'm doing. And, you know, some of them are, I don't, I have no idea what I was doing. I have no idea why I bought the yarn. Um, I don't catalog socks on Ravelry, but, um, but there are a few pairs of socks that I know exactly what tears they wiped away, you know, at what time that, you know, or what bag they fell out of on which train, you know, I, I just love that his, that history that is woven into each stitch, you know. Um, and and I kind of like knowing that I don't remember everything. You know, every single stitch on a pair of socks traveled through my fingers. Um, and even if I don't remember what was going on at the time, they, they hold some of that history physically. Our cells, you know, the epithelial skin cells of our bodies get into this knit. You know, it's, it's, it's imbued into the yarn as we knit. And, and sometimes I really like, knowing that even if I can't exactly remember what I was doing when I was knitting these stitches into the socks, um, this the sock still holds that history metaphorically, and it's it's just kind of a lovely idea to me that, that we can track ourselves by what we're making. That is cool. I've never Ooh, thought about it that way. Yeah, you literally <laughs> are knitting yourself knitting into yourself. your knitting. Yeah. 
Oh, cool. Yeah. Well, that's exactly that's what I was just thinking. There's um when I was first uh dating the person who would become my wife, uh I was just getting to know her dog and her dog's name is Harriet and and my future wife went out of town and I was house sitting Harriet and she was sitting on my lap a lot of the time I was knitting this white Aaron sweater and she was a long black haired dog. And these, you know, her long hairs got tangled up in the sweater. And I always jokingly called it the Harriet sweater. But, you know, she, she died years later and we miss her a lot still, even, you know, eight years after her death. And, and that sweater is really important to me, the Harriet sweater. That's, that's how Harriet and I bonded back, you know, in, in the beginning of my relationship with that wonderful dog. So it's one oh, that way. That's so sweet. The <laughs> Harriet sweater. I like that. <laughs> yeah, we definitely find random pet hairs in our knitting, don't we? Oh, definitely. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It's better than finding it in our cooking, I guess, you know. I'd rather find yeah. it in Oh, our I cooking. find it there, too. Yeah. <laughs> I know, me, too. <laughs> yeah, my dog, for some reason, she is shedding right now, and her she's a black lab, and her hair is everywhere right now. It's kind of insane. <laughs> I mean, what dog sheds in the middle of the coldest part of the year? It doesn't make any sense. But anyway, that's funny. So, Rachel, I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit about your knitting history. It sounds like you've been knitting all of your life. Yeah, I am. Um, there's almost a point at which I don't remember not knitting. I do remember, I was probably about five or so, and I was fascinated with my mother's cedar chest. And inside her cedar chest, she always had these things that she'd pull out for us to craft with. And they were they were old things of hers or her mother's. And she had uh, knitting needles, the old, you know, 1960s acrylic ones. And she had wool from New Zealand. She was a New Zealander. Um, and she'd been raised on a sheep farm. And so it's kind of in my blood. My grandmother was a, a real capital K knitter in New Zealand. And it skipped my mother, although she knew how to do it. So when I was about five, I loved her enough until she taught me the knit and the pearl and then I just kind of took off on my own, and I, I didn't really make things, but I knitted a lot um, until a couple of years later she gave me uh, Elizabeth Zimmerman's Knitting Without Tears, and that just changed everything. That that made me into the knitter who I am now. Elizabeth Zimmerman's voice is kind of always in the in the back of my head, which is really a wonderful, delightful voice to have, as you know. And um, and I just and. And that, so it's always been around, and I always knitted, but in my mid-20s, I'm I'm 43 now, in my mid-20s, I gave up smoking. And at that point, I gave myself permission to knit all the time, basically. All the money that I wasn't spending on cigarettes anymore, I put into yarn, uh, because I could finally afford yarn, now that I wasn't smoking. <laughs> and it was a really good way for my hands to just keep busy, because I think so many of us have that nervous energy. And... I swear that if somebody took my knitting away from me now, I'd start smoking again. <laughs> I don't think I would. But I would be scared. I would be really scared if someone told me I couldn't knit anymore. That'd be awful. <laughs> so, yeah, it's just it's kind of part. It's like breathing, right? It's like to, to you guys, you know, it's just kind of breathing. Yeah. It is. It's true. I've thought, you know, what if you had an ever that prevented you from knitting or, I mean, everybody does adapt, but thought is really scary. It's really, you know, what it would is. I do if I could hit? Yeah. 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 I've been, I, I've been, uh, in my writing process, I've been trying to use, um, Dragon Dictate, which is a dictation software, because I do think about those things. You know, my hands are going to get older. I'm going to keep wanting to write. It's 
my livelihood. And so in order to protect my hands, I've been doing that. But I don't have a way to protect my hands when I'm crafting. You know, I just have to do the best I can. Okay. We all do. So, yeah. Do you, you also know. spin? Sorry? Do you also spin? Yes, I do. I have an Ashford Joy and an Ashford Traditional, um, of course, from New Zealand to my, my people. And my mom my mom was actually raised just outside Ashburton, which is where Ashford World started. And I don't spin as much as I would like, but I do love spinning sweater quantities. I'll, I'll spin an upper sweater and then knit the sweater, and, and that, that I really love doing. Well, that's impressive. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And it's so cool that you actually have, like, legitimate knitting kind of genealogy. I mean, your grandmother grew up on a sheep farm? Or my mom did, yeah. That's what, that's what her, her parents were. And, I, and I, one, of my, one of my favorite memories as a kid is being in New Zealand and on my cousin's sheep farm, and, and they have these big wool shoots that as they're shearing the sheep, they just they throw the entire uh, sheared wool down the chute into this big room that is literally just full of shorn wool. And as the as the um, as the the fleece goes down there, so do the kids. We would just you know go down the chute, <laughs> land in the wool, run back upstairs, and do it all over again. So you know, just it was one of my earliest memories of being covered in lanolin and sheep poop. You know, it's not cleaned yet. It's not clipped, and it's it was just so happy. You know, like wool is just my my happy place. And one of my first explorations into online knitting came from probably around 2001, 2002, I realized that the Internet, you could buy things on the Internet and that I could buy things from different countries. And I went searching and I found um, Ashford wool, which was the same from the same sheep that my mom's family raised just from a few miles away from their home. And I found a, a New Zealand pattern and made her a sweater with the wool from, you know, right where she grew up. So that was that was pretty special. I, I don't know about that sweater. That's- that's really cool. So you mentioned having the voice of Elizabeth Zimmerman in your ear. Can you tell us a little bit about how that voice in your ear influenced the Cypress Hollow series? <laughs> it, it, it influenced it very strongly. Um, yeah. When I was writing the, the <laughs> when I was writing the first book. There was um, a character in it who, she is deceased for all five books, but she was kind of the matriarch of Cypress Hollow. Cypress Hollow is a fictional town where, in which knitting is a huge pastime um, because Eliza Carpenter was from there. And Eliza Carpenter is the fictionalized, she's kind of the fictionalized version of Elizabeth Zimmerman and, and Meg Swanson and um, Barbara Bush and all of them, but she really has uh, Elizabeth Zimmerman's voice to the point where I have actually written quotes that Eliza Carpenter has said. I've written a quote and then I will Google it just to make sure I didn't accidentally steal it out of the back recess of, of my brain. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to accidentally plagiarize Elizabeth Zimmerman. That's one of my fears. Um, and and in something that um, some people know and most people don't, but uh, in German, Zimmerman means carpenter. So Eliza Carpenter is definitely a, 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 an homage to Elizabeth Zimmerman. And at the beginning of each chapter in all five books, Eliza Carpenter has a knitting quote that has kind of a cheeky irreverence and playful humor. Um, that, is, that that is that voice in the back of my head, 
and I have to say that um, I next month and love the books. So <laughs> nice. I make sure I. I send, I send, uh, you know, one of the first copies of all five books to her because you know, I, re- I told her honestly, this, your mom influenced so much of my life, and this is my homage to her. So, and now she reads my other books too. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And speaking of your other books, so you do have two books that are not knitting related, correct? Yes. Yeah. It's it's funny though. Um, they are more literary fiction, mainstream. Um, they are not romance. Uh, there are family stories. The first one came out last year, and that's called Pack Up the Moon, and the one that came out this year is called Splinters of the Light. They're a little bit um, more serious in tone. However, I've just given up trying to keep knitting out of my writing. I think I I made a turn at some point and thought, okay, I'm not a knitting writer anymore. I'm just going to be a regular old plain old writer, but I can't do it. Knitting is so much of who I am. It does come into every book to the point where um, – the book that's coming out from Penguin next March in a few months is called The Ones Who Matter Most, and it's gonna ha- it has a knitting pattern in it. The knitting got so far into it that I'm back to pr- providing a knitting pattern. It's a simple hat. At the end, uh, one of the plot points is that, that one of the characters teaches this kid how to naturally dye wool um, with onion skin. Uh, she's a she's a gardener and a knitter and a spinner. And so, and it's not a book about knitting. It's 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 not, but it's in there. I just can't help it. So I, I'm embracing that part of myself again. <laughs> well, and that was going to be my next question: was is there any knitting featured in those other books? So now we know. <laughs> <laughs> yep. In in Path of the Moon, there's an Aran sweater that her mother made her, and in Splinters of Light, the main character is dealing with a, a devastating um, disease. And she casts on for a sock, and it just keeps going and going and going, and it goes past the knee length, length, and she's just like, it doesn't matter. I just need this. This is because because she had this devastating diagnosis. In order to kind of help my character out, I couldn't help but put the sock in her hands because that's what I would do. That's what I turn to when I need comfort. So yeah, it just it happens. oh, that's brilliant. Yeah, <laughs> I get that at all. Now, what was your inspiration to start combining? your writing with knitting was it elizabeth zimmerman or was there more behind that no it was a it was actually kind of a light switch moment i heard from i think it was my sister told me about nanowrimo which is national novel writing month uh it's where the national knit a sweater month comes from nanny suimo uh and the online challenge is kind of ridiculous and fun and just just for a lark but you're supposed to write 50,000 words or basically a small novel in the month of November. And I was a very serious writer, taking my writing seriously, and I thought that that was one of the most silly, stupid things I've ever heard, and no self-respecting writer would ever do something like that. And I heard about this the day before November 1st in 2006, and uh, 30 minutes later, of course, I was on the website, and I was signing up because I do things like that. And... NaNoWriMo started the next day, and I had to think of something fast um, Mm -hmm. that I could write quickly that I really, really knew. And I love romance. I love feminist romance. I love women falling in love with men or any combination. And I love women who never get saved but always save themselves as well as, you know, helping out their partners. And and I love reading books like that, so I decided I'd write a romance. And I also knew that I loved knitting, and I could write about that for days without 
thinking too hard, so I put the, I put that together. This was kind of before Knitlit was even a thing. Kate Jacobs' book wasn't out yet, or it was just coming out, I think. Um, so I paired uh, a sheep rancher on the central coast of California along with a, a knitwear designer, and basically they get this inheritance of this house and this cottage from Eliza Carpenter, and they have to uh, divvy up the property, and of course they fall in love, and that's how that all started. <laughs> now I wish there was a picture of what that main the I forgot the name of the man who works the ranch, but we need to see a picture. See the visual. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's funny is that his name is Cade, and I actually named him after one of my friends. Who uh, Cade Cade has always been very very handsome, and he had a rough patch in his life. Uh, where he was addicted to drugs and, and everything and got off that and tur- turned his life around. And at the time that he turned his life around, he was dating a Harlequin romance writer and he wanted to rename himself, uh, something strong and to, to be, to symbolize this new person he had become. And she gave him the name Cade and I thought it was always such a good romantic name that I, it was in honor of him. And uh, I will say that Cade's wife loves my book now. She reads all of them, and she loves that I named the first character after her husband. <laughs> That's awesome. So it's like yeah. an homage to many people. It is. I love doing that. I love I love putting in the little cameos of my pets and, you know, people that I know. And, and my house sometimes shows up. Things in my house show up. I really like doing that. And so I assume that you did get all of one of the, bu- the books done in that one month? I got, yes, I got the 50,000 words done. I think I wrote three or four extra words and gave it a real dumb, quick ending. And I said, yay, I won NaNoWriMo. And I put it away for a while. But And I and I really kind of thought that because I'd written it that fast, that when I went back to read it, it would be awful because it, it had felt pretty awful to write first draft or hard. And when I went back a few months later, it was it was good writing. Um I think it was because I was loving what I was writing and I was writing fast that I wasn't giving that um, terrible editing voice in the back of your head that tells you that everything you do sucks. I wasn't <laughs> giving it time to yell at me. And so there was this uh, romance writing contest that I think it was Simon & Schuster and Borders was putting on. And one of my readers of my website, Yarnagogo, said that I should enter this, you know, first romance competition and so I cleaned it up I edited it briefly I put a real honest to goodness ending on it and sent it in and it didn't win but it um, was in the top five and I re-edited it I know it was really cool so you know I got to go to New York and be read by five minister employees and and it, it wasn't picked to be published but what it did was make me believe in myself a little bit more so I did another edit on it and then I sent that out to agents and that's where I got my agent, and she sold it in a, originally a three-book deal to HarperCollins. So it was this book that was basically just a lark, but I was writing about things that I loved, um, what turned out to be the best writing that I'd done. And I wasn't trying to write a great American novel. I was just trying to write something that would make people happy and, and would make myself happy. And and I succeeded in, in a really wonderful, life-changing, fulfilling way. So it's been it's been awesome. That is fantastic. That is like the coolest story ever. I mean, what are the chances of someone really, just like within 24 hours yeah. making this decision, I'm going to do this thing that I think is insane, and then coming out on the back end, look at how successful you were. 
And, you know, I, I tend to do things like that. Um, back in 2002 or so, my sister, the same sister who told me about NaNoWriMo a few years later, she told me about blogs. And I also had the same reaction. That is just so dumb. Who would put their innermost thoughts and secrets <laughs> up on the Internet for the entire world to read? And, you know, half an hour later, I have a blog. And <laughs> and that was <laughs> – and that actually did contribute to my publishing. Not only did I have a readership, um, which my agent and subsequent editor really liked. Um, they could uh, they could also uh, my agent basically chose to represent me not only because she liked the book, but because she went back in my archives and read what my real, almost unedited voice was, you know. And so, th- just having the blog has really been a life changer for me. So I really owe my sister a great deal of thanks, and she's not even the one I'm making the sweater for. Oh, that was <laughs> my next question. Have you knit a sweater for her? <laughs> Yeah, I've knit her many sweaters, yeah. They okay. they get lots of sweaters. <laughs> but perhaps she needs a new one. <laughs> so tell us about the blog. I haven't asked you about the blog yet, or we haven't asked you. Yeah, the blog um was tremendous. It was it was uh I I basically started a writing blog and it was called My Glass House and I I wrote on this blog but because I was knitting of course. Every once in a while I would finish uh piece of knitting and I would put a picture of it on the blog. And I didn't really know that knit blogs were a thing back then, but the knit bloggers found me and um, we had the, the knit blog web ring and back then it was super small and you could go around the whole knit ring in like an hour or so. And, um, and it developed, it helped me develop friendships that I have to this day. Um, my best friend is Carrie Luna. She's a writer up in Portland. At that point she was out in New York and and we're both still writing. She's, we're both professional writers, but we met because of the Niblog Lovering back in the day. Um, when I went to Iceland, I went with Stephanie Close, who is an editor at Library Journal, but we met because of the Niblog Lovering so long ago. And I mean, knitters are everywhere, and we are legion, and we basically run publishing. There are so many people in the higher echelons of publishing who, who are also knitters. It's kind of astounding. <laughs> when you start linking everybody together. And so, and I changed my uh, blog name to Yarn Go Go, probably 2003 or four, And I've been, I've been that ever since. And I'm still, I, I blog less now than I used to, but I, I still blog. That's still where I run, where I have something that I want to share that I really want to talk about. I find being super, super honest about things like um, debt and depression and things that are hard to talk about are where I've gotten the most um, honest and articulated responses from my readership. Um, and it's just it's just an, a, a super, super blessing. I love, I love my blog. My blog is almost like a person to me, you know? I get, I get that. I get that. I did a blog briefly when we lived abroad, and it is it's like your way to communicate with people in yeah. a kind of a deep, fundamental way. Yeah, and I think I think a lot of us now, a lot more of us have that because Facebook has become almost this, you know, this mini blogging platform that everyone has. It used to be that not everyone blogged. It was really only writers who blogged. And now everyone can Facebook and can have that intimate connection with old friends and new friends. Um, but but the blog still, for me, has a real special place in my heart. And and, uh, and I can be really, really authentic there, I guess. That's what I, that's what I enjoy most about it. Yeah, because you're not creating a character or a fiction. It's you speaking yeah. from the heart. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. And it's always me speaking from the heart and 
and I control it in a way that I don't control a lot of things. I cannot control my Amazon reviews. I can't control. But once I send a book out, I, I have no control over it anymore. But but the blog is mine. I can protect it. I can protect myself. You know, if it if it gets attacked by spam or something, I can shut it down. And and you know, it's just it's just my baby. So yeah, I do love it. Okay, so I kind of feel like we're jumping all over here because we had already talked about pets. But since you talked about the blog, I thought I would ask one of my favorite stories from your blog and related to your pets was the story of Digit. Oh, my Digit. Uh, yes. Digit actually got a cameo in the fifth Cypress Hollow book, which is called Fiona's Flame. Um, I made him into a harborside cat, and he lives on the uh, the hero's boat in the marina because I thought that Digit would like that. But uh, Digit was uh, the cat of my heart. You know where you get where you have pets and you love them all and and they're your babies, but but then you have that one that really wraps themselves around your heart and you are a team. Digit and I uh, started living together when he was about four weeks old, much too young to have left his mom, but. He was found under a house that their, uh, the, the mother cat had abandoned the babies. And I, you know, bottle fed him and, and he was just my guy. And we were alone together for a lot of years. I was single and, and, and he was the cat and I was the Rachel and we were together. And he was the biggest jerk you'll ever meet. He basically, <laughs> he, whenever he, whenever he made a noise, he was swearing. In cat language, he just hated everything. But um, and he hated most people, and he would just rip them apart. I would I would warn people who came to my house. I'm like, don't touch the cat; he will hurt you. And then people, for some reason, all then they always try to touch the cat. And then I would have to bandage them, and there was always blood. And he was just the biggest jerk. And I loved him with all my heart. And uh, then I got married, and we moved in together. And he hated the dogs, and and would bloody them on a pretty almost daily basis. <laughs> <laughs> he remained a jerk, and he was always an indoor-outdoor cat, and he would go away sometimes for, you know, a night or two, and he would come back beat up and reeking of gin and other women, and, and I would let him back in the house, and I always knew, though, that he would come back. I could always kind of feel him, um, and in fact, at one point uh, years ago, he had been in a real bad fight and, and had been unable to walk, and I had actually kind of gone out just hoping I would find him and I found him in a field because I walked straight to him. I, I, I felt where he was. So so in February of one year, he went out and he didn't come back. And a couple of days later, I was getting a little bit worried. And then a couple of days after that, I was really worried. But I, I, I could still feel that this connection. But after a couple of weeks, I had to admit that he was gone because he would always come back to me. That's the thing about Digit is that if he were alive, he would make his way back to me. And so I mourned and mourned, and I, I, after about a month or so, I could finally talk about it on the blog and and announce it to the blog. And everyone in the knitting world really loved to hate my cat, and um, so did I. <laughs> and so every, everyone was upset. And um, about four months after that, two months after that, I got two kittens uh, in his honor. And um, four months after he went missing, I was asleep, and my, and my wife came in the room, and she was screaming, and I thought there was a fire. And all I remember thinking is that we do not have any fire extinguishers. How could I have let this happen? And um, and she, but she, was, she wasn't screaming about that. She was like, you've got to come to the kitchen, come to the kitchen, come to the kitchen. And it, Digit was there, 
and she had seen him at the back at the back porch and had not recognized him. She had to actually check his toes because he was a polydactyl. He had six toes on each paw. He didn't look like himself anymore. He was completely ripped open in the back end. He was completely – he'd gone from 20 pounds down to six. Um, he had no pads on his feet. He had no claws left. Uh, he had basically dragged himself home, and uh, we took him to the vet, of course, immediately. And the vet could not even find a heartbeat. His heart was beating so slowly. He almost he almost died. He was within probably hours of dying. And what the vet figured out is that back in February when he had left, he probably jumped in the back of a truck or a car um, because it was cold. He probably jumped in something to warm up and had been transported away. And he had been walking for four months. That's why he wore off the pads on his feet and his claws. And that's why I knew I, I, I had that feeling that he wasn't gone because he wasn't. He was just trying to get back to me. And, and we worked out math-wise that he could have gone as far as Seattle and made it home. He um, undoubtedly crossed multiple freeways. Um, and and uh, and I pretty much cried for a few months <laughs> after he came home. I was just so glad that the, the cat of my heart was back. And, and he never went outside again. And, uh, I don't blame I, him. Yeah. I, well, I didn't let him. I wouldn't, I wouldn't yeah. let him go outside. And it was funny because he would, he would complain and swear at the back door. And then sometimes he would sneak out and he'd be on the back porch and he'd freeze like, oh, I remember. I didn't like the world. Okay. <laughs> you, I'll let you catch me and go back in. And he remained a jerk for another, uh, six years. I think I got another six years out of that 19 lives guy. And, um, he was, he was just my man. And, he died a couple years ago, and I, I still I still miss him every day, every day. So, oh, my sister actually, uh, the one the one I made the sweater for, she cross-stitched a, a portrait of him, which is on my desk right now. So the only, the only thing on my desk is just a little cross-stitched portrait I did it. That jerk. <laughs> well, the reason I love that story is because I, I have a pet that was the bird of my heart, one of my parents oh. that I for 25 years, so I had oh him. God. Yeah, I had him over half my life, and I oh, I sympathize. I still miss him every day too. Oh, oh, that is so hard. I think we all have that one that just works their way in and becomes yeah. more than more than anything else. I hope that there can be more than one. You know, I have I have three dogs and two cats right now, and I love all of them passionately, and they're you know they're just they're so fun. But none of them are digit, and and uh, my wife's dog Harriet. That was that was basically her digit, and and like your bird, you know. That, yeah. There's that one. So. I think your listeners can empathize. <laughs> I think the dog we have right now, she's that pet for me. She just really she can do no wrong. She's brilliant. She's wonderful. <laughs> she can sit on my knitting, oh. and I don't care. She's 75 pounds. Oh. She's me, and I don't care. She steps on my feet all the time to make me petter. <laughs> You know, we sit at the dinner is she table. The one that, is she the one that's shedding right now? Yes, yes. She literally <laughs> sits under the dinner table and puts her little paws on top of my feet while we're eating. Her oh. little paws. One, on each, one paw on each of my feet while we're eating. Just to, okay. okay, Mommy, here I am. Very that cute. is precious. That is yeah. precious. Oh. I love animals, obviously. <laughs> yeah, very we fun. We do. So, taking it back to fiction, are there any new knitting fiction books coming out of you soon? Or have you made the transition to literary No, fiction? about a 
a month ago, I would have said pretty unequivocally, no, I'm, I'm done with the knitting fiction. And then just the other day, I was struck by a new urge to write some more knitting fiction. I've started a new world. Um, I have a I have a literary novel coming out in April. Sorry, I think I said March earlier, but it's in April called The Ones Who Matter Most. But I have another romance series that's uh, coming out in March. Um, the first book is called The Darling Songbirds, and it's about three sisters, country singing sisters, who come back to the same small coastal town. It's basically Cypress Hollow, but with a different name. And, uh, <laughs> and I just realized the other day that, I, I mean, the reason I stopped writing Cypress Hollow is that I feel like I ran out of characters. The town was too full of history. I couldn't, I couldn't walk around the town without bumping into it. But this new town is really open, and I think that, you know, if we had a knitting group in Darling Bay, that would be just fine. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm not going to rule that out at this point. Nice. So that's, I, that's I, I think I might go back to it. Yeah. <laughs> I like hearing it's that. It's just so yeah. fun to write. <laughs> I know a lot of our reader, our listeners will be very, very pleased to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> so, well, they'll be the first to know that because I kind of just made this decision of recently. But, yeah. yeah. I wish there was time to talk more to you about your actual writing process and things because I remember from the Knitting Guild meeting just being fascinated by some of the things you taught us that night about your process and how you go about editing and things. And I just, I remember talking to my writing, one of my other best friends is a writer, and just we were running and I was like, oh, you should have been there. You would have been amazed. She said this and she said this. And I was just fascinated because I've always wanted to be a writer, but I don't have any fiction in my soul, basically. So my paying job, I do a lot of writing, but it's all, you know, technical, software oriented, yeah, yeah. things like that. But I wish that I had it in me to do fiction writing. I'm fascinated I by it. Like I, if you have that desire, I bet you do have it in you. I really do. I think that if you're born with that desire and if you're a big reader, then it, it can happen. It's just, it's just horrible to start. That's the problem is that nobody starts out as if they get uh, good at it, and it's just painful. It's a painful learning curve, believe me. That's, that's the hard part. And, you know, right now I'm writing a first draft of the second book in the series, and uh, it's just awful. I can't wait to get to the revision point where I can actually make it into something good. Right now I'm just writing crappy pages. That's all. You could do that. Yeah, I mean, seriously, I think that's what I think that's what professional writers eventually realize about fiction is that that it is just a bunch of writing horrible pages that um, that you would never show anybody. I like to call I like to think about my uh, truck draft, which is the stage I get with the manuscript when if I was hit by a truck, I would not mind if people saw it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and that and that draft takes a long time to get to. I'm definitely nowhere near that right now. <laughs> oh goodness, that's so funny. See, and when I was writing my blog when we were abroad, it gave me that huge satisfaction of, look, I can write something that's interesting that people tell me they really enjoy reading. But yeah. there was no yeah. fiction; it was just a retelling. So. Apparently, I, I can be pretty good at that, but I just don't know. I don't think I have that little fountain of, of creativity inside of myself that creates things from scratch. Because I'm the same way with my knitting. I don't think I could ever design a pattern. I want someone to give me the pattern recipe, and I'll follow it. So I just don't think yeah, I have I'm, that. Yeah. I'm that way with knitting as well. I really, really oh, like really? a pattern. I have designed, and I can design, but... But I much prefer a pattern. I I really love the custom fit. Uh, Amy, Amy, oh I just lost her name. What's her name? 
Herzog. Yes, Amy Herzog. Um, I'll just follow one of her patterns every day until the day I die. I'll be just happy about that. So <laughs> I'm, with you, I'm with you on that. Same with recipes. I don't like making up recipes. I like somebody to give me a recipe to follow in the kitchen. Yeah, and my husband's more like the, you know, give me a recipe as a starting point, and I'll take off from there. So maybe I need I to give I admire that. Him. Yeah, I do, too. So I have to give have him give me fiction ideas, and I can do it as a ghostwriter. That's a great idea. You guys could collaborate. I'm not even kidding. That would be fun. Yeah. His would be all science fiction and warfare, though, so, eh. <laughs> She's like putting aliens in it. Yeah, no. Exactly. That's what you would do. And I'd have to come up with a way to have my aliens knitting. And I don't know. <laughs> so the wind has continued to blow us out. So we're going to wrap things up now before we completely lose all ability to record. So we wanted to thank you, Rachel, so much for coming on the podcast. And thank you, you so be- much for having me. What a what an enjoyable afternoon. <laughs> Indeed. Very enjoyable. We were wondering if you might be at Stitches coming up in February. I am hoping to be there. I do not think I'll be doing a signing. I have no plans of doing that right now, Um, but I will definitely be wandering the halls for at least one of the days. Are you guys going to be there? Yes. We will be in February next year, 2016. Yeah. So let us know. I cannot wait. Yeah, let us know what day you're going to be there because we will be there Thursday through Sunday. So, Oh, that's great. That's good. I, guess, I don't think I even made it there last year, so I missed the entire thing, and I don't like missing a year. So I'll be there for sure. Fantastic. And we also did want to comment that our self-indulgent knit-along is going to kick off on January 1st. So what that is is we encourage everyone after the holidays are over and it's something self-indulgent. And that doesn't mean it has to be something for yourself. It could be something that you knit for someone else, but with a skein of yarn that you've been, you know, waiting for the perfect project to knit or a pattern you've been wanting to knit or fiber you've wanted to spin. It, anything that you feel is indulging yourself and your senses and your creativity is completely awesome for something this knit-along. Makes you happy. Exactly. <laughs> So that will start. Something cashmere for some people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You're thinking the right, right way. So that will begin on January 1st, and it will end the spring equinox, which is Sunday, March 20th. We will close that thread at midnight that night. So we've already started the chatter thread, and we've had a ton of chatter already. It's fantastic. And we will start a finished objects thread, you know, about that time. And... We also have the Shalimar Yarns giveaway still going, and I think we should just let that go to January 1st because we won't record again until then. So I will close those threads the day that the knit-along starts. So everybody has a lot of time to enter into the drawing for the Shalimar Airy and a separate drawing for the Shalimar Breathless Cush Yarns that we've reviewed in the last two episodes. So don't forget to go over there and join into those giveaways. And this is our official last episode of 2015. We want to say thank you to all of our listeners for joining us a couple times a month and sharing your knitting adventures. We've really enjoyed it. We've had a wonderful year podcasting and look forward to another one in 2016. Absolutely. 
And thank you again, Rachel, for being on the episode. We really appreciate it. And happy holidays to you and all of your friends Thanks, and family. Ladies. Okay, thank, thank you, you so everybody. much. Happy holidays Bye. to you. Happy New Year. Bye-bye. So the wind has continued to blow us out. So we're going to wrap things up now before we completely lose all ability to record. So we wanted to thank you, Rachel, so much for coming on the podcast. And thank you, you so be- much for having me. What a what an enjoyable afternoon. <laughs> Indeed, very enjoyable. We were wondering if you might be at Stitches coming up in February. I am hoping to be there. I do not think I'll be doing a signing. I have no plans of doing that right now, um, but I will definitely be wandering the halls for at least one of the days. Are you guys going to be there? Yes. We will Excellent. be in February next year, 2016. Yeah. So let us know. Oh, I cannot wait. Yeah, let us know what day you're going to be there because we will be there Thursday through Sunday. So. Oh, that's great. That's good. I, I don't think I even made it there last year, so I missed the entire thing, and I don't like missing a year. So I'll be there for sure. Fantastic. And we also did want to comment that our self-indulgent knit-along is going to kick off on January 1st. So what that is is we encourage everyone after the holidays are over to knit something self-indulgent. And that doesn't mean it has to be something for yourself. It could be something that you knit for someone else, but with a skein of yarn that you've been, you know, waiting for the perfect project to knit or a pattern you've been wanting to knit or fiber you've wanted to spin. It, anything that you feel is indulging yourself and your senses and your creativity is completely awesome for something this knit-along. Makes you happy. Exactly. <laughs> so that will start. It's in cashmere for some people. Yeah, exactly. exactly. You're thinking the right, right way. So that will begin on January 1st, and it will end the spring equinox, which is Sunday, March 20th. We will close that thread at midnight that night. So we've already started the chatter thread, and we've had a ton of chatter already. It's fantastic. And we will start a finished objects thread, you know, about that time. And we also have the Shalimar Yarns giveaway still going, and I think we should just let that go to January 1st because we won't record again until then. So I will close those threads the day that the knit-along starts. So everybody has a lot of time to enter into the drawing for the Shalimar Airy and a separate drawing for the Shalimar Breathless Cush Yarns that we've reviewed in the last two episodes. So don't forget to go over there and join into those giveaways. And this is our official last episode of 2015. We want to say thank you to all of our listeners for joining us a couple times a month and sharing your knitting adventures. We've really enjoyed it. We've had a wonderful year podcasting and look forward to another one in 2016. Absolutely. And thank you again, Rachel, for being on the episode. We really appreciate it. And happy holidays to you and all of your friends Thanks, and family. Ladies. Okay, thank, thank you, you so everybody. much. Happy holidays Bye. to you. Happy Bye-bye. New Year. Bye-bye. You can find our podcast on iTunes at Yarniax Podcast. Visit our blog with show notes at yarniax.com. We have a friendly and engaging Yarniax Podcast Ravelry group. My Ravelry name is Knitter Ninja Shar. Gail's is Gailey Whaley. You can follow us on Twitter at Yarniacs or on Instagram at Yarniacs and at Gailey Whaley.